I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Adam Goerecki with us. He's the CEO of the San Patricio County, Texas Economic Development Corporation. Adam, welcome to our show. Thanks a lot, Chad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to be here. So why don't we start with you telling these folks where San Patricio County is? Sure. Yeah, I'm fairly new to the position. Been here about five months now. San Patricio County is just north of Corpus Christi. We're separated by the Harbor Bridge and the Port of Corpus Christi, but we are right on the coast. We cover one county and nine cities within San Patricio County. Working a lot of different types of projects in our area now. You know, I was up in the up in the Metroplex for a long time, so it's a different type of project. You know, we have a deep water port now, so we're bringing in exporting barges, you know, liquid natural gas and metals and things like that. It's been fun. It's been a learning curve, just learning the different types of things that we can offer down here versus up north. Yeah, well, that is a great part of Texas, and the whole area is growing. You know, we've gotten to know Victoria pretty well, and we know Corpus, and we've done work in Galveston, and I mean, that whole area is just growing tremendously. So I know Consultant Connect awarded you a top 50 economic developer back when you were up in the Metroplex. So now you really get to flex your muscle down there with all these big, heavy industrial investments with uh, <laughs> with petrochemical and all. I was in Denver for six years, and so I was during that time. Things are different down here, but it's exciting. A lot bigger capital intensive projects. So the biggest project I think I worked up in a different areas was around $270 million. Here it's in the billions. You know, we've got... Steel Dynamics, which is a $2 billion project, which was before my time, but that's under construction now here in our county. And Exxon and Sabic is a joint venture. They're under construction as well, a $9 billion project. We've got Chenier here, which is a $15 billion liquid natural gas project. So it's a lot of really, really heavy, heavy hitters and large capital intensive projects here. Yeah, well, when I moved to New Orleans, I had to adjust my thinking because I had been in the middle of the country and, you know, a big project does might have been 100 or 200 million. And in New Orleans, you know, when you start dealing with these energy type projects and petrochemical, I mean, you get into billions fast. And so it's just a mindset I had, you know, now I see 2 billion. I don't think anything of it, but I used to, you know, back yeah. before I moved down there. 
same here. It took some getting used to, but I know we compete with, you know, every community that has a deep water port, you know, with New Orleans and there's probably a couple locations in Louisiana and a few in Texas. So it's just different, but it's fun and exciting. Yeah. So we've learned as we've done a lot of work in Texas, some Texas, they do economic development more at the city level. You know, Eva city will have a various economic development organization, but you're saying you represent the whole County. That probably has advantages to it. So what's the thinking there? Yeah, it does. So we do cover nine cities and three of those cities have their own EDCs. Most of our communities here within the County door are, are rural. So some of them don't, but the few that do, they have an EDC director as well. So they're doing certain things and trying to recruit products there, but we're helping them as well as the other communities. So we have, we actually have 19 industrial sites spread across the County. You know, we don't play favorites from city to city. We try to locate these products within those 19 industrial sites. So we actually have to play the site selection process too, just like consultants do, you know, and we get, an inquiry, if they want rail, we take those 19 sites and we automatically narrow that down to four sites that work. And then we just go from there. If they need to be right on the deep water port on the water, we narrow that down to two sites. So usually we, we just kind of try to play matchmaker in those different locations, but that's how that works. I'm not an actual county employee specifically. It's just called the San Francisco County EDC. We're funded from the county, from the port of Corpus Christi. Each one of our nine cities pays into our fund and then also private investors from different companies across the county as well. Well, take us back to how you first stumbled into economic development. Nobody really plans to be in economic development. I went to college at the University of North Texas in Denton. I majored in international business and economics, and I had a minor in marketing. I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I graduated. I had to be that young guy that moved to downtown Dallas in a loft by himself, and so I did that. I was answering ads and uh, stumbled across one that was an economic development marketing job. So that was my first job out of college. I did that for six years. I really loved it. And from that point, I just I moved on. I went to working for different cities. And, you know, now that's what brings me down here. Yeah, you worked with WIDA, didn't you? World Economic Development Alliance, wasn't that it? I did. And I think they recently changed their name. But, yeah, I had some really good experiences there. Now that you say it, you know, time flies. But I, I had a contract with them at one time in one of my positions. And so I might have met you or some of the team. I had totally forgot that. So Yeah, maybe. I think you were in Kentucky at the time. I think yeah, I was in Tennessee and then Kentucky. But we did some work. But I didn't know they had changed their name. Do you know what it is now? I do not. It's a recent change. I don't know what that name is. Yeah. Well, I've known you for a while. And your passion for economic development really comes through. So what is it you love about this? You know, you've landed a bunch of projects. You've kind of done it all. So uh, what gets you up raring to go in the mornings? You know, it just really excites me that no two days are the same. It doesn't seem like something always different. Every project you work is different. There's just always different tasks every day when you get to the office. And, you know, when you're traveling, you're doing marketing events and, and conferences and things like that. Just every day is different. And that's what keeps me going. It's not the typical nine to fiver from the desk every day. It's different projects and I really love the people involved in economic development. I love meeting new people across the country. I have a lot of friends from this industry, all across the state of Texas, but also from many other cities and states. Well, considering you got in it more from the marketing side, you know, it's funny, people get into economic development from all different sides. And mm -hmm. you don't see a lot to get in it from the marketing side, but that's obviously one of the absolute most important things. So what did you really learn working in the private sector, particularly in marketing, that now helps you market your community and be a good economic developer that others can learn from? You know, a lot of economic developers are with city EDCs, which is fine. I've never gone that route. I've always gone the route where we're handling, you know, outbound marketing and attraction, but we're also doing recruitment. And starting with WIDA 15 years ago, I like that because we helped small and medium-sized communities with their marketing and their business recruitment efforts. So we were out doing trade shows, target industry trade shows, metals, forming fabrication, welding, retail, all this types of manufacturing, logistics, and things like that. 
But, you know, we were really trying to help those different communities. I had clients all the way across Texas, all the way from coast to coast. I had two in Canada and two in Mexico. So I really got to see how different communities operate and things like that. And then from that point, I went on to San Antonio and their EDF, which I really learned a lot more. They're really strong in their marketing efforts. So that's where I really took off from there and learned how to just market for specific communities. And then obviously I went to Denton after that for six years. And I did go to the private side in between my stop from Denton to here for the McLean Group where we were developing a Class A office park. Now, two months into that, COVID-19 hit. So that kind of killed all of our office developments. I got to learn the marketing from that aspect as well, just stemming on to the private side and you know, marketing for large office users and tenants. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success yeah well i tell you that whole denton area is growing too you would know better than me but it's been unbelievable just to really watch all that growth and you were there for five or six years weren't you I was there for six years, did 13 projects there. It was, it was fun. It was an exciting time. And they have to be competitive because while obviously the whole Dallas-Fort Worth area is very attractive, there's so many other little towns, you know, <laughs> that you got to compete with in Dallas. So a lot of those places are very competitive and really know what they're doing. Sure. Absolutely. So as we come out of COVID, the economic developers are probably out there thinking to themselves, am I going to be going back to trade shows and conferences? Should I do all this stuff online or... What is your thought? I mean, as you're thinking about the trade shows you need to be at, are you going all in on those? Are you doing more online? Or I mean, how would you advise people? Well, we're actually going all in on the travel and everything. So when I first started here, there was no marketing budget. So we're having a website redone right now. All of our marketing materials and branding, it's all being redone. I actually had a, about $100,000 marketing budget approved. So it's not as much as a lot of communities, but more than others. And a lot of that is marketing trips and trade shows and conferences. Some of those I'll do on my own. Some I'll do with Team Texas, which I just did my first one over in Orlando two weeks ago. It was the aviation conference, and it was actually a good turnout. You know, people are traveling again. You know, everybody's being cautious, wearing masks and all that. But I felt safe the whole time, and I think I have 15 or 16 trips now aligned before the end of this year. So I'm getting aggressive. I'm going to try to stay aggressive and get back in the, get the swing of things and get on the road. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And, you know, if there's less people on the road, you're going to have less competition probably in the long run. But, but yeah. you know, now I saw uh, the St. Louis Cardinals today announce they're going full stadium here in a week or two. So now I think there's going to be pent-up demand. And as much as we all have gotten used to these Zooms and all, it still doesn't replace that in-person interaction. But considering all the success you've had with trade shows and all, I figured you'd want to get back at it. You know, thanks. 
I won't say much slower, but they were a little slower with COVID and all that, but I always enjoyed the marketing side. I like getting out there and I like doing the true recruitment. I like going to LA and New York City and Atlanta and talking with site selectors and consultants and company CEOs. And I like getting out there. So that's what we spend the majority of our marketing budget on. A lot of people say they're doing electronic stuff and all that these days. It's probably all great, but I like being out there. The face-to-face interaction, you can't beat it. Well, take us back to when you were a boy growing up. I always like to find out what people wanted to be when they grew up and then compare that to economic development. (laughs) So uh, see how close they got to it. So what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? I always wanted to either be a professional fisherman offshore or an attorney. And neither one of those worked out. I took the different path. Well, you know, attorney, I mean, there's a lot of that type work in economic development, even putting RFIs together. So that's a skill. Yeah. Probably. Well, as a professional fisherman, you've made your way south towards the Gulf. So maybe yeah. that's a little bit in there. That's good too. Yeah. I've got the boat and all that. So I can still take people out and, you know, wind and dine from that aspect. But yeah. Well, as yeah. you really think back, who's been the biggest influence on your career? I guess it's hard for me to say one. I have three or four in mind. And well, actually, it started with Eric Klein Sorge at that we did when our for him, he really taught me economic development. You know, he took me from a college and I was just a young guy out of college, didn't know much about it, but he really taught me the ropes and showed me how to talk to economic developers and speak the lingo and all that. But then San Antonio also helped me. Tom Long, Misty, Michelle, Mario Hernandez, all of them took me into their wing and really trained me on the ways they do things and how they market and things like that, which I loved. And I still use a lot of those tools today. And then up in Ditton, I worked for Chuck Carpenter the chamber president, which I ran the EDP through the chamber, but I still learned a lot from him just as far as organizational skills and, and just other things like that. Yeah, I've had three or four there over the last 15 years that have really helped me and that I look up to. Is there any one piece of advice that you got in the industry that you think back and think, you know, that really set me along my way? Well, one of the main things that I would say, you know, I probably learned early on was that you build as many business relationships in your youngest years as possible and never burn bridges. So you just meet as many people as you can, keep their cards, keep them in your Rolodex, stay in touch with people every few months, you know, just touch base with them, even if it's a short text or short email or a call or whatever, but stay in touch with people, even though there might be hundreds of them, but don't ever burn bridges because things always have a way of turning around and, you know, we're gonna end up working with somebody way down the road that you met early on, you know, that you would have never expected. So just don't burn bridges, make a lot of contacts early on. Well, you know, that's the part of the marketing that you do that I like. Because I ran a similar type program in Kentucky where we would call on 100 companies a year. And I can't tell you the number of times I'd meet a company and they wouldn't really have interest, but they would have a business relationship with somebody and they'd tell them about us. They'd say, hey, this guy came in and told me all about Paducah, Kentucky. You know, next thing you know, somebody else will be calling you with a whole different project. So that's how kind of that whole marketing game works. But I think you're right. I never thought about it, but as I look back, I met all those folks when I was around 30. And some of them I do business with now that I started my own company. Yeah, exactly. Never burn bridges because you never know when you might be working with them in the future. So. Have you learned anything on the technical side, you know, how to do deals, RFIs, host prospects that you've learned just with experience that, it, you know, you wish you had known 15 years ago that our younger folks could learn from? I've always, I've always had to do the RFIs. It's, they're a lot more in depth down here, I will say. I'm having to add on to, my, to you know, what I've learned in the past. Just down here, there's a lot more things you have to learn with, you know, nitrogen pipelines and ethylene and, you know, just different requirements that these things require down here. You know, that's taking me sharpening up a little bit. But other than that, I mean, I guess I've always done the RFPs or somebody on our team has done the RFP, so I've always been doing it. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. 
Our executive search spotlight this week is on the Kilgore, Texas Economic Development Corporation. So we're doing the search for the next executive director of the Kilgore, Texas Economic Development Corporation. This is one of those type A economic development corporations in Texas, those that have had so much success. Within the last five years, they have closed deals on more than $150 million of investment and 2,800 jobs. This organization has had a long-standing history of success with very little turnover. Both Amanda Nobles and Jenna Russell have done an incredible job there landing deals and preparing that community for new industries. Kilgore's located east of Dallas along Interstate 20. It's really a manufacturing center. 20% of the employment in Kilgore is in goods producing sectors and they're home to the East Texas Regional Airport so you got good air access out of there in addition to Interstate 20. It's also home to Kilgore College. So my uncle used to be a quarterback for a community college in Mississippi, and they played Kilgore College in the Junior Rose Bowl, and years later he ended up living in Kilgore while working for Halliburton, and they love Kilgore. They just told me all the time how much they love that whole area. So this is a tremendous community for somebody. Pay is going to be up to $130,000, depending on qualifications. If you're interested, you can go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash Kilgore to learn more. If you're interested, you're going to need to apply by Wednesday, June the 2nd. It's right after Memorial Day, so we're going to have to blast this thing out again so Memorial Day don't get you, but apply by Wednesday, June the 2nd. If you got any questions, feel free to email me at chad at thenextmovegroup.com. Book a Zoom with us. We'd be glad to answer them. Is Denton growing so fast that, like, they got to now think about streets and infrastructure? You know, when I first started there, Everybody thinks as far as the Metroplex are automatically going to be busy. When I first started there, it was, you know, seven years ago from now or six and a half years ago from now. And it was different back then. Denton was 27 miles north of Dallas and Fort Worth across the Louisville Bridge, which in the site selectors and consultants' minds, they at that time thought that if you're across that Louisville Bridge, you're in Oklahoma. Right. You know, you're too far out. My first two years was really just building reputations. You know, I was new to the economic development field in that area. And so I was going to Dallas and Fort Worth all the time and visiting Atlanta and Chicago just telling people where we were at. And a lot of the guys in Dallas that were doing site selection projects they just thought that we were so far out. They all were positive that our time was coming, but they just thought we were so far out. And they just took me going back over and over again and just showing them that we had. And, you know, next thing you know, we have sites being bought up for, you know, industrial spec buildings. And we're landing Winco Foods and Tyson Foods and uh, a lot of different types of manufacturing products. But I did a lot of food operations there, cold storage, which was exciting. You know, those big power users, which we had a city-owned utility up there, so they were using heavy power. So you're where the hurricane, you're where Harvey came in, right? I've got it on my map now. From what I hear, we don't have a ton of hurricanes that hit us. They will go through Louisiana and cut out, or if they come up from the north from Brownsville in that area, those are typically the ones that I hear that hit us more often. But right. we did get hit by Harvey. So I bring a roof on my home from it, for instance. It hit our city pretty good, along with our coastal communities. Aransas Pass got hit pretty hard and Ingleside on the Bay. Well, uh, of course, you know, I live in New Orleans, and last year, I think I ran from four hurricanes. Only one hit New Orleans, but we were in the cone. We were in the cone four or five times. So now that you're down here on the Gulf with us, you'll start understanding that feeling. But I know you always were a Hurricane Harvey, I believe, came ashore. So how's the community recovered from that? That's been three or four years now. Three or four years since we covered nine cities. A lot of ours that are out off the coast a little ways obviously weren't affected too bad. But the ones that were on the coast, Aransas Pass, and Ingleside on the Bay, and Ingleside, they were definitely affected and they've rebuilt, you know, they lost some apartments and some hotels. They rebuilt. I mean, you almost can't tell to this day. They've rebuilt quick and, you know, everybody responded very quickly. I haven't been in a hurricane in my life yet, so we've kind of started preparing. But uh, from what I hear, we don't get hit very often. 
Yeah, uh, you really don't. Living in New Orleans, you watch them. And that part of Texas really doesn't get them very often. That was kind of a weird storm the way it came in. And then, you know, if, if you remember, of course, you wasn't there, but as you well know, y'all had the win. But in reality, probably Houston had it just as bad, if not worse, because the storm went up there and just rained on them for like three days in a row. Yeah, exactly. They had flooding all over the city and things like that. They got the toughest part of the storm. You know, we got a lot of wind damage and things like that. But uh, you just got to prepare down here, I guess, a little differently. I mean, I've got a generator now, and you just kind of, you know, put shutters on your windows and things like that. I don't really know how to prepare. Luckily, the city where I live is one of the highest elevations on the whole Texas coast, so we don't have to worry about a whole lot of flooding here because it sounds like they have done the special insurance and all that. As bad as those things are, and Lord knows they're bad, having lived through Katrina. The good news is a lot of money flows in behind them. Just like you're talking about your communities now rebuilding a lot, you know, so it ends up being a whole lot of new development in the long run. I think that's what we're about to see with COVID because, you know, all this stimulus money coming, they're kind of using FEMA regulations to do it the way they're doing it. But we never seen where the whole country was getting it. I think studying some of the hurricane areas and how they've redeveloped with FEMA might be an interesting case study for some of this COVID money that all these towns are going to get. And so most of the time it's terrible when it happens. But most time, 10 years later, well, Katrina's been 16 years now in New Orleans, so it's been a long time. But you really wouldn't know that it came now. I mean, you know, everything's been totally rebuilt. And usually when they rebuild, they rebuild it to higher standards. So in the long run, from a pure development standpoint, it probably works out. Sure. Yeah, I've been there since the hurricane, and you guys have done a very, very good job of rebuilding. Well, as we wind down, is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners that might not have asked you? You pretty much covered everything. You know, it's just I'm excited to be down here. I view this as a startup. I did have a predecessor that was here for five years, and there was people in this position before, but they weren't really aggressive in the marketing and the recruitment phase. So that's where I'm trying to get aggressive and get our stuff out there. You know, so we're developing a new website now. Our current one is tshowedc.com. We're supposed to launch our new one in June, so in probably three to four weeks from right now, and then we'll have new market materials and things like that. And then we're getting on the road. So I've got 15 or 16 trips now before the end of the year. So we're trying to get our name out there. We're in the Corpus Christi MSA, so everybody knows Corpus. We're seeing a lot of the industrial growth in our county, so we're just trying to get that word out, you know, trying to get ourselves out there. Yeah. Well, I have a high respect for aggressive economic developers because I know what it takes. I've sat in those shoes, and I have a great deal of respect, and I know you're one of the best. So I appreciate you for spending a few minutes with us today. Oh, thanks so much, Chad. I appreciate you thinking of me.